Now, like I said last week about this series, we're going to cover a whole lot of information in this series. So if you are a note taker, I highly recommend you take notes. And you can do that paper and pen. I know it's a little bit hard to see sometimes in here. Um, You can take pictures of our screens as the slides come up. You can steal someone else's notes if you watch them taking notes and then you instantly become a note taker. Uh, You like that? You can laugh. Like There'll be a couple more jokes today, so that'll make me feel better if you do that. Um, So I recommend you take notes so that you can remember what we're going to be talking about. The second thing that you need to know is that this series is primarily designed for Christ followers. If you're a Christ follower, you should pay attention. This applies to all of us. If you aren't a Christ follower, you might say, you know what, I don't know that I connect with all that. I don't know if I fully understand that. But what we're going to walk through in this series can help us all understand some of the hard things that are difficult to understand in our world. Anybody think our world's a little weird right now? Yeah, some of the stuff that we're walking through in this series will help us understand why that is a reality. And it can teach us how to engage our world as we walk through some of these complexities. So again, I think whether you're a Christ follower or not, this series can be very beneficial to all of us. So this series is based on the words of the Apostle Paul as he wrote this letter to a church that he started in the ancient city of Ephesus. So after Paul met Jesus, he was radically transformed. And you need to know, if you're not familiar with Paul, prior to meeting Jesus, Paul hated Christ, and he hated all Christ followers. But then one day, he met Jesus, and he was radically transformed. And then he took on the mission of going around the known world to tell more people about Jesus and to start churches. That was his mission in life, and he did a great job of that. Well, one of the prominent churches that he started was in Ephesus. They were a great encouragement to him, and they encouraged him even when he was sitting in a a Roman prison, and they sent encouragement to him, so he wrote this letter of encouragement back to them and encouraged them about how to live in a dark world, how to treat each other, and then in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, he came to his final thoughts. These are his final thoughts for that church and for our church today. In verse 10, he said, a final word, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Therefore, Put on every piece of God's armor so that you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you will still be standing firm. Stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. For shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you will be fully prepared. In addition to all of these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on salvation as your helmet. And take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Pray in the spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. So as we walk through this series, we're going to talk about each piece of God's armor and how we can use it effectively. 
And I told you last week that there are three primary things that make up the framework of the series that we're walking through based on what Paul wrote in that passage. And so they are this. So number one, Paul says, listen, we're in a battle. It's not just a physical battle. You may feel like getting up is a battle or in going through your day is a battle. Well, Paul says it's not just a physical battle. We are in a spiritual battle. The stakes are very high. People's eternal lives are at stake. So this is a significant battle. And then he says that we have a real spiritual enemy. Because we're in a spiritual battle, we have a real spiritual enemy, and his name is Satan. I don't know what you believe about Satan. There's a whole bunch of people that don't believe in him. There's a bunch of people that have wrong ideas about him. But Jesus believed in Satan. He actually said in John 8 and in John 10 that Satan is the father of lies. He's a murderer, and he has come to steal, kill, and destroy. Who does he want to do that stuff to? You and me. Because he hates you. Why does he hate us? Because God loves us. He hates God. He hates everything that God loves because God loves you and me. He hates us. We have a real spiritual enemy. And then number three, we need to know how Satan attacks us. Paul says, listen, Satan has strategies, very specific strategies. And last week, we talked about seven strategies that Satan uses against us. And I'm curious, anybody identify one of those strategies this past week in your life? I mean, those strategies are at play all the time around us. And if we would open our eyes, we would recognize how Satan attacks us. And if we recognize how Satan attacks, then we can counterattack him effectively. But we got to wear God's armor to do that. Now, when Paul started talking about armor, and he said in, in verse 11 of Ephesians 6, he said, put on all of God's armor so that you'll be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. So when Paul was writing to the church in Ephesus about Roman armor, that church understood what he was talking about. That part of the world was controlled by the Romans, and so they were used to seeing Roman soldiers walk up and down their streets. They understood what it was like to be around Roman oppression and see the Roman power, and Roman soldiers were known to be ruthless, and there's a really good chance that a lot of, of the, the people in this church actually put their hands on Roman armor. There was actually a law that if a Roman soldier came up and demanded that you carry their armor, you had to carry it for a mile. Can you imagine like going through your day, doing whatever you have to do, and then all of a sudden a Roman soldier stops you and says, I demand that you carry my armor. By law, if you were not a Roman citizen, you had to do that. And then Jesus comes along and says, if a Roman soldier asked you to carry his armor one mile, carry it two miles. Go the extra mile and demonstrate what it means to be one of my followers to someone who hates you and probably hates me as well. So Jesus challenged us to go the extra mile in what it means to follow him. So the, the church in Ephesus, they were very familiar with Romans, uh, Roman soldier armor, and we're going to get more familiar as we walk through this series. So here's a picture of what that armor looked like. Um, you can see his belt there. You can see his body armor, his shield, his helmet, his shoes. The thing that's missing here is his sword. And you can tell the most fiercest of Roman soldiers were bald. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. There's a few more jokes coming. Just be ready. Don't get too immersed in the, in the message today. Just be ready for it. Okay. So we're going to start today with the belt. Uh, Paul was talking about the belt of the Roman uh, soldier's armor. 
Now, a Roman soldier's belt was not just a fashion statement. I know sometimes you know, we have utility belts that we wear, and then other times we have fashion belts that we wear. Uh, but for a Roman soldier, it was all about utility. And what it did was it held his sword to his hip. It held the rest of his uniform in place. And there were moments that Roman soldiers, soldiers would wear longer robes when it was cold outside. And when they would engage physical battle, they would grab their, the bottom of their robe and they would pull it up and they would tuck it into their belt so that they could fight effectively, kind of turning their, their uniform into some shorts so they wouldn't get tripped up in their own uniform as they're engaging battle. So a belt was central to battle for a Roman soldier. Roman soldier would never run into battle without their belt. So Paul, when he talks to us as Christ followers, he says the belt that we should wear is called the belt of truth. So Paul basically says truth holds everything else together. If you know truth, then your life is going to be centered on the right thing. If we don't know truth, then our lives are going to fall apart. Now, it should be no surprise that truth is under attack in our world today. And it's been under attack since the beginning of time. It's one of Satan's greatest weapons that he has used against us. And we've talked a little bit about that last week. And that weapon is deception. So Satan does not want us to understand truth. So he attacks us with lies so, so he can prevent us from understanding truth, embracing truth, and living by truth. And we saw that in the Garden of Eden. Again, we talked about this last week when Adam and Eve were attacked by Satan. Satan tried to deceive them. Now, we'll get back into that in just a moment. Uh, but before we get into that, I want to take a hard right real quick and go down a path and try to tie this back in in a few minutes. But I would love for us to spend just a few minutes together uh, thinking out loud about the reason Jesus left heaven to become human and come to earth. So if you're watching online, feel free to type in the comment section what you think some of those answers might be for those on campus. Why did Jesus leave heaven to become human and live here? To die for our sins? Say that again. Because the Father loved us, he was obedient to, its, to his heavenly Father. To experience, the to experience our temptations so that he would know exactly what it's like to be us. Yes. Anybody else? To save us from hell. Show us the kingdom of heaven. Great answers. Spread the, Spread the gospel. The good news for everyone. Great answers. Okay. I want to share with you in Jesus' own words, why he said he came. It's found in John chapter 18, and it centers on this conversation that Jesus had with a Roman governor named Pilate. This was the final trial that Jesus had before he was executed. So Pilate and Jesus get in this profound conversation. In Romans 18, or John 18, verse 33, Pilate asked Jesus, says, are you the king of the Jews? In verse 36, Jesus answered, he said, my kingdom is not an earthly kingdom. If it were, my followers would fight to keep me from being handed over to the Jewish leaders. But my kingdom is not of this world. And Pilate said, so you are a king. Jesus responded, you say I'm a king. Actually, I was born and came into the world to testify 
to the truth. All who love truth recognize that what I say is true. So the reason Jesus said that he came was to testify to the truth. So listen to what Jesus said about truth. In John 8, 31, he told his followers, you are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings. And if you do that, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. It's a powerful statement about truth and what it can do for our lives. And then listen to what Jesus said in John 14, 6. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. So the reality is this. Jesus is the truth that we need to know. And without knowing Jesus, we can't really know truth. Let me say that one more time just to let that sink in. Jesus is the truth that we need to know. And without knowing Jesus, we can't really know truth. That is a big, bold statement. And if you're not a Christ follower, you might be thinking like, why should I believe that statement? Well, Jesus confirmed that statement when he rose from the grave. So we're not just following some guy who made these big statements and then died and that was the end of the story. For those of us who are Christ followers, we're following a guy who made big, bold statements, took our sin on his shoulders, died in our place on the cross, and then three days later had enough power to raise himself from the grave. Do you think we should believe a guy who came back to life? I think we should. I think we should listen to him. I think he holds the truth that we should know. And Jesus is the truth that we should know. And without really knowing Jesus, we can't really know truth. Again, Jesus said to Pilate in John 18, 37, he said, all who love truth recognize that what I say is true. The New International Version of the Bible translates that verse as saying, everyone on the side of truth listens to me. So Jesus said, there are sides Truth and Jesus are on one side. What does that mean is on the other? Lies and Satan. Lies and Satan. So Jesus and truth are on one side. Lies and Satan are, are on the other. And in that one sentence, Jesus highlights the epic battle that we all engage in on a daily basis, a battle between truth and lies. What's interesting about this battle that we engage in is that sometimes Satan's lies can be hard to discern. They're difficult because sometimes he mixes them with truth, just like he did with Adam and Eve. And again, we're going to dive into that a little bit this morning like we did last week. So in the Garden of Eden, God created this amazing place for Adam and Eve to live in a, in a strong relationship with him and each other. And he gave them one instruction, and that one instruction was don't eat the forbidden Fruit, but then Satan slithers up to Eve and he asks this question in Genesis 3, verse 1. He says, Did God really say you must not eat fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Well, that was an outright lie. And Eve knew that. So in verse 2, she said, Of course, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we're not allowed to eat. God said, You must not eat or even touch it if you do you will die. And then here comes Satan with a half-truth. In verse four, 
He says, you won't die. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you will be just like God, knowing both good and evil. So what was true out of that statement? When they ate the forbidden fruit, they would be like God, understanding the difference between good and evil, because they would recognize in that moment what they did was evil. So they would know there's a difference. Prior to that, all they knew was good. After that, they would know. There's good and there's evil, and we just brought evil into the world. But here's where Satan lied. He lied about their death. He said, you, you won't die. But they did die. They died spiritually, they died relationally, and they died physically. So he mixed truth and a lie to trip Adam and Eve into believing his lie, and that's how he attacks our world. Right now, he's attacking our world with all kinds of half-truths. And the more we believe these half-truths, the more we just buy into his outright bold lies that we probably wouldn't have believed before. But because we're allowing ourselves to believe some of his half-truths, we'll buy in to these outright lies even more. I recently saw a commercial that kind of highlighted this for me. It was advocating human rights. And as I listened to this commercial, I thought, man, this, this sounds like a great idea. You know, like we're being for people, we're being for everyone. I mean, this is something that's near and dear to my heart, it's near and dear to our church's heart. And then the commercial spokesperson asked for financial support so they could, and I quote, help people live their own truth. They want to help everyone live their own truth. And if we're not paying attention, we might just think, oh, that sounds great. Like, we all want to live our own truth. The only problem is we can't. You can't live your own truth. That's not possible. Truth isn't an opinion. It isn't a preference. It's objective. It's fixed. It applies to everyone. So that commercial should have said, support us so we can help everyone live however they want. That's truthful. That's a truth statement. But it's easier to recognize that as a lie of the enemy. So it seems like there was a mixture of truth in a lie in, I think, that attack against our understanding of what truth really is. Again, Satan's attacking us with these half-truths and outright lies. And I wonder, can you identify which one is which? Can you identify truth from a lie? Do you know when truth and lies are mixed together to make them more palatable? If you can identify them, you can fight effectively against them. If you can't identify them, you and I will buy into a lie that will hurt us, hurt other people, and will have some long-term consequences unless we recognize that as a lie and learn to replace it with truth. I want to give you a few examples of half-truths and lies that are in our culture today. So uh, I just want you to, to see how many of these things that you can identify with. So here's half-truth number one. Half-truth number one that Satan attacks us with today is this idea that life is all about you. Doesn't that sound great? I mean, I actually like that statement because I want life to be all about me. I don't want life to be all about you. I want life to be all about me. I'm a little selfish, aren't I? So here's a, um, a mailer, a postcard that my wife received a few years ago. I actually saved this. And uh, this is a picture of it. So Clinique wanted to tell my wife one day, life is all about you. 
And when I got that flyer out of the mail, I knew instantly this is a lie. Why? Because Bass Pro Shop tells me life is all about me. It's not about my wife. It's about me. So every day, we are under attack. And the lie that Satan whispers to us, that sounds so great, is life is all about you. But if you, if you read scripture, you might stumble upon a verse that Jesus gave in Matthew 5.37. And he said, you know what? Life is all about loving God and loving people. And I read that and go, wait a minute, time out, Jesus. Like, that, that doesn't sound great. That's not what I've been told. I've been told life's all about me. Jesus says, I know, I'm correcting that. Life is all about God. It's all about others. So if you're a Christ follower, can you recognize when that lie comes along and Satan whispers to you, life is all about you? Can you recognize that and capture it and say, no, that's not true. Life is actually about God and it's about other people. The second half truth is an extension of the first one in so since Satan whispers to us that life is all about us, he also says, you should live any way that you want. And that sounds great. It does. Except it's not true, especially for Christ followers. Jesus said in John 14, 15, he said, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments. Now, I love Jesus, but I don't love all of his commandments. Sometimes Jesus asks me to do things that are hard like forgive people who hurt me, love people who hate me. Like that is challenging. So as Christ followers, we shouldn't just live any way we want. We should try to find out the way that God wants us to live and we should live that way. All right, here's half truth number three. And this is a big one that is very prevalent in our world today. It goes like this. Life is not fair. And since life is not fair, you should be offended at everything and fight for your rights. Anybody ever seen that or heard that you know, message in our world? All right, it's out there. Pay attention. About five seconds on social media, you'll see it. I mean, it is out there. It's a, such a prevalent lie, and we all know that life is not fair. We get that. We get that. We see that. But we don't all know that we don't want life to be fair. So let me explain. If life were fair, you and, I, you and I would have to die to pay for our own sins, and we could not count on the finished work of Jesus on the cross on our behalf. If life were fair, Jesus wouldn't have died in our place. He would have come down and said, sucks to be you. <laughs> you got to pay for that yourself. But Jesus didn't say that. Jesus said, I know life's not fair. And I'm going to model life not being fair by taking your sin on my shoulders. I'm going to die in your place so you can have eternal life. I am so grateful that Jesus wasn't fair with me. We should be grateful that Jesus wasn't fair for us. So I think as Christ followers, we should stop focusing so much on whether life is fair or not. We should focus on our responsibilities to live like Jesus. Is life fair? Nope, it's not. Should we run around crying about it all the time? No, we shouldn't. 
Should we live our responsibility to be like Jesus, to love God and love other people and help other people understand that Jesus experienced an unfair life for us? Yes, we should do that with every fiber of our being. So I wonder, as you hear these half-truths, what lie are you believing or tempted to believe? Satan's whispering something to you. He may not whisper the same thing to you that he whispers to me, but he's whispering something to you. He wants you to believe some half-truth so that you'll buy into that lie and you'll get off in your relationship with God. He's attacking you every day. Every day he's whispering something. What is it? Do you know what it is? Can you identify it? If you can't, I encourage you to spend a little time this week trying to explore what is the lie that I believe or what is the lie that I'm tempted to believe. There is something. And you've got to balance that and fight against that with God's truth. Now, I talked a little bit about this last week, but I'd love your permission to, to be kind of personal with you today. So is it all right if I get personal with you? Yes. Great. All right, five of you in this section are good, so you pay attention. Everybody else, plug your ears as I get personal. One of the lies that I'm tempted to believe in my life, that I've battled this for many years in my life, is this lie that Satan comes and whispers to me on a consistent basis, Trent, you're not good enough. He tells me I'm not good enough all the time. He says, I'm not a good enough preacher. I'm not a good enough leader. I'm not a good enough husband. I'm not a good enough father. I'm not a good enough friend. And he tells me regularly, you have to try harder. And when I buy into that lie, I jump onto the treadmill of performance. I run hard on that treadmill, thinking my identity is based on how I perform. And when I perform poorly, I feel like I'm a failure. And I get on that treadmill and I run harder. And if I get a moment where I feel like I did okay in that moment, then I know that that'll only last for a few seconds because my next real or perceived failure is just around the corner. And so I run hard on a regular basis, sometimes believing that lie that, Trent, you're not good enough. Anybody else ever identify wrestling with that lie? There's a number of us that wrestle with that. When I recognize that lie, I fight effectively against it. And I tell Satan, that is not true. That is not true. And I'll tell you how I fight against him in just a minute. But listen to what the Apostle Paul says about fighting uh, lies with truth in 2 Corinthians 10, 3. He says, we are human, but we don't wage war as humans do. We use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and to destroy false arguments. We destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. We capture their rebellious thoughts and we teach them to obey Christ. The New International Version of the Bible translates verse five like this. It says, we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. I have to do that on a regular basis. I have to take my thoughts captive and make them obedient to Christ. And so I wonder, do you take your thoughts captive or do you let your, your thoughts have free reign in your life? 
You know, some of us do that. Some of us like open the door, you know, answer the door of our lives and, and there's a, a negative, bad thought, a lie from the enemy and we just invite it to come on in. You might as well sit down, I'll get you some refreshments. You might as well stay a while. For some of us, we've had a lie in our brain for way too long. And what God wants us to do is identify that lie and learn how to replace it with God's truth. So here's one way that I practically do that on Sunday mornings. So on Sundays, before I preach, on many days, I read a truth statement. A truth statement that's based on God's word and helps remind me of his truth and helps fight against the lies that Satan tries to whisper to me. So here's my truth statement. And it's, it's gonna be several paragraphs. And I've had some pe- people ask in the first service if they could get a copy of this. If you wanna take pictures of it, you can. We may try to f- make it available next week or email it out. Here's my truth statement. This is the day the Lord has made, so I will rejoice and be glad in it. That's from Psalms 118.24. Today, I will let God transform me by changing the way I think. That's Romans 12, 2. And I will take every thought captive to the obedience of Jesus Christ. That's 2 Corinthians 10, 5. In and of myself, I am no one with nothing to offer. But because of Christ, I am someone with something to offer. In fact, I am God's masterpiece, and I will live that way. That's Ephesians 2, 8, 9. I may have moments of fear, but God has not given me a spirit of fear. He's given me power, love, and a sound mind. That's 2 Timothy 1.7. I may experience moments of discouragement, but I will not live discouraged. Instead, I will be strong and courageous because the Lord my God is with me wherever I go. That's Joshua 1.9. Like Paul, the purpose of my life is to tell others about God's good news and his wonderful grace. That's Acts 20.24. 20, I, I may not be a polished speaker, but I've been entrusted with the good news and I will share that good news with everyone. I will share it through the personality, the strengths and weaknesses that God has given me and I will leave the results to him. That's 1 Thessalonians 2.4. When I speak, I won't use lofty words, impressive wisdom or clever persuasions. Instead, I will focus on Christ and Christ alone. I want people to see Jesus and be impressed by him, not by me. That's 1 Corinthians 2, 1 through 5. And because of Christ, I'm good enough. That's what it looks like for me to wear the belt of truth on a regular basis. I need to read that truth statement to help me fight against the lies that Satan tries to attack me with on a regular basis. So I think all of us need to learn how to identify the lies that we're believing and replace them with God's truth. And I think the best source for us to do that out of is the Bible. The Bible contains God's truth for us to know. It contains the thoughts of God for how God wants us to live our lives. So if you want to know what God thinks about you, spend some time in scripture. You'll find out what God thinks about you. You'll be amazed at what God thinks about you. And you'll be amazed at what you can learn, what truth you can learn that can help you battle your own lies that you might be believing. Now, if you're familiar with scripture, if you've grown up in church world, if you've grown up around the Bible, um, you might say, you know what? I know a lot about the Bible, which is great. My, My question for you is, are you using it effectively to fight against the attacks of the enemy? 
It's one thing to have a whole lot of Bible knowledge. It's another thing to use that knowledge effectively against the enemy. So are you using it effectively against the enemy? If not, I would recommend you identify your lie, you identify a truth that can help you battle that lie, and then you write your own truth statement. And you read that as often as you need to, to help you understand God's truth for your life instead of Satan's lies. Now, if you're new to the Bible, you might think, man, I don't know that I've even broken a Bible open ever, or I don't know much about the Bible that can feel intimidating, but you'd be amazed at how much you could learn in a relatively short amount of time if you decide to learn the Bible. And one way that you could start today, even this week, uh, is you can identify your lie and then you could do an online search asking what the Bible says about fill in the blank. What does the Bible say about anxiety? What does the Bible say about insecurity? What does the Bible say about our worth to God? Uh, There's all kinds of, of, of Bible verses that are out there that you could find as you just do a search on, on the, on the, online. Now, what I do recommend is you be careful about reading some articles of interpretation based upon scripture, because you could end, end up reading some very interesting articles, a lot of interpretations about scripture. I would say just dive into scripture alone as you're looking at that. You could also download the YouVersion Bible app. You could do a search in that app for truth based upon the lie that you're believing. You could take one of our Bibles home as our free gift at the back of each section if you wanted to take one of those. You could sign up for our 40 Days in the Word small group that's coming up in April. We'll start announcing that. I know it's a little bit away, but you could sign up for that and learn how to study the Bible so that you could learn how to dig through it on your own. There's a lot of ways for us to identify uh, the truth that we need to understand. And as you do that, I encourage you to write out a truth statement. Your truth statement might just be one sentence as you're learning how to do this. So if it is, that's great. Start with one sentence. And then when you learn another truth, add a second sentence to it, add a third sentence to it. And then you'll see it develop over time. And the truth that you can hold on to from that practice can then guide you to battle against the enemy just like I do on a regular basis. So here's my closing recommendations for all of us. Number one, let's practice this week symbolically putting on the truth, the belt of truth every day. So when you get up and you're getting ready to, to go throughout your day and you're getting dressed, what I encourage you to do, whether you're wearing a belt or not, I encourage you to symbolically fashion a belt around your waist and then tell God, God, today I am wearing the belt of truth. Reveal truth to me. I'm going to search for it. I'm going to listen for it. I am going to apply it to my life when I see it, when I hear it. So just practice that on a daily basis. I know that might feel weird, but I think it can help us stay focused on using God's armor effectively. So put on the belt of truth every week, every day this week. And then number two, ask God to reveal one lie that you're believing. I'm curious, can anybody right now identify one lie that you're believing in your life? Oh, a whole bunch of us. Um, The rest of you, I encourage you to spend some time this week asking God, what is the lie that I believe? And then number three, ask God to reveal his truth. He will. He's the revealer of truth. He is truth. If you're asking for it, he will give it to you. And then number four, write out your truth statement 
and then read that truth statement over and over again. As it's based on scripture, it's based on truth, and it's something that you can use to battle the lies of the enemy. And the last one is the easiest one of all, and that is come back each week, okay? So whether you're on campus, you're watching online, come back, because there is so much more that we have to learn. Truth is the beginning of the journey that we're going to be on. And truth helps us use every other piece of God's armor effectively. So keep coming. There's much more for us to learn. In just a minute, our worship team is going to close us in a final song. It's a new song for us about truth. It's a a powerful song. And as we sing this together, what I encourage you to do is begin a conversation with God about any lie that you may be believing and about the truth that he wants you to learn to replace that lie with. So start that conversation during this song, and hopefully that conversation will extend throughout this week. If you would, stand with me. And let's pray, and then we're going to sing together. God... I thank you for the truth that you make available available to us through scripture. I thank you that truth is a person. That Jesus, we can know truth when we know you. And you can help us fight against the attacks of the enemy when he mixes truth and lies and tries to trip us up in our relationship with you and with other people. So Lord, I, I pray today for all of us I pray that we would be able to believe, to identify the lie that we are believing or the lie that we're tempted to believe. We would identify that. And Lord, I pray that you would point out the truth that would help us fight against that lie. Lord, some of us are bound up in lies. Some of us are caught up in a treadmill of performance. Some of of us feel like a failure on a regular basis. Some of us are chasing so many different things, thinking our identity is wrapped up in that. Some of us think life is all about us and what we accomplish. There's so many lies out there, Lord. We need to be able to discern those lies. Hold tightly to your truth, because truth holds everything else together in our lives. Lord, I pray for all of us today that we would know your truth and we would experience the promise of that as you, Jesus, said that when we know truth, that truth will set us free. Lord, today some people need freedom from something they've been held bondage by. Set them free from that lie. Help them to embrace the truth that they can experience in their lives. Thank you for being truth that we can know. In Jesus' name.